2: As the FIFA Women's World Cup gears up for an exciting final matchup, get the best coverage with Sports Like a Boss on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join three-time Olympian Holly McPeak and sports broadcaster Anne-Marie Anderson as they analyze the biggest stories and scandals with some amazing guests. Go for the gold and download new episodes of Sports Like a Boss every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One Sportsnet. Welcome to Real GM Radio. Happy 4th of July. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Chris Herring of 538, somebody who I love talking to, and we go through the offseason, some big picture, some small picture stuff. For what we know already, this is obviously pre-Kawhi Leonard, so we speculate a little bit about what different destinations would mean, but it's more focused on everything else that has happened since the end of the finals, and the warriors and the nets and some of the other kind of smaller moves that really stuck out to us and really great conversation and it is brought to you by betonline.ag use that podcast1 promo code for a 50% welcome bonus and actually stay tuned after after the interview with Chris I talked with Dave Mason at betonline about futures and and how the free agency affects it I thought it was a really cool conversation and also truecar instead of a more normal thing, you can email truecar at podcast1.com, tell them about your shopping experience on True Car, and you can win an Amazon gift card. More details later on in the show. Episode with Chris runs about hour 20, really enjoyed it, and got in some fun directions, including pulling some stats that, that we I think we inspire each other that I had never I never pulled before. So that, I thought that was really interesting. So some new stuff in here, and I hope you, hope you like it. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Oh, no problem at all, man. Thanks for having me as always.
2: There is a part of me that feels a little weird doing this with Kawhi's decision still out there, but not everything can wait for Kawhi, and I I fully respect him taking as long on his decision as he wants. It's one of the most important decisions he's ever had to make. But it is an interesting time to kind of think about not only what has happened, but also a little bit about where the league is going. I actually, we can get into it a little later, I actually did like a preliminary, including like not including three teams, tiers estimation of kind of like where all this is going and was was really interested in it. But I guess we could kind of start broad scale of really what, what have been the most significant takeaways for you so far.
1: Um, I mean, I, I think, honestly, you, you have to look at a couple of teams. I think the Nets are the really obvious one. And, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to think that. I do think they're interesting in the sense that we don't know exactly how significant that will be for this year. Um, I don't necessarily see them as like a a hardcore contender right away. Um, (laughs) My coworker, Neil Payne, actually put together kind of a spreadsheet with 538's projections. And, you know, as of right now, it's not even clear whether they would be a playoff team based on looking at what they've got right now with just Kyrie and kind of spare parts along with what they had last year. That said, you know, 538. Didn't think much of their team last year either, and they obviously squeaked in um, in the last few moments there at the end of the season. But, you know, basically thought that they kind of out they, – they got every bit of success out of their team that they could last season. And so kind of overperformed projections and basically saying this season that, you know, that with some of the guys that you have to give away and the idea that Russell was a big part of the offense, that Kyrie will do better than that, but that they're going to have a lot of questions about their defense. Um, and I think that that is a, a fair take. I think that they'll make the playoffs, but, um, you know, I don't think that they're going to be a, this great team right away without Durant being a part of it. So I find them interesting, you know, Utah is a team that I, I think was interesting even before free agency. Um, I, I like the Bogdanovich signing for them. Our projection system hated it. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that it is suggesting that, um, Bogdanovich isn't a good player for them because I think he probably will be. But it thought that, that they made a huge overpay for Bogdanovich, which I thought was interesting. Um, so even though I I like the fit there for them, and I think they they clearly needed another scorer, and also the idea of adding Conley will help them, um, I think they're going to be interesting, and I think that they'll be a force to be reckoned with out West. But I also really am kind of interested in what Indiana has done on the flip side of that, because obviously they lost Bogdanovich, but they replaced him with a player who, you know, honestly might have been the best value addition that any team has made in jeremy lamb um you know i thought that that was a great deal for them um and i thought a couple of the other signings that they made too um make a lot of sense uh you know i, I think that tj warren is kind of an interesting fit for a team uh and i know that that wasn't uh something that happened really during free agency as much but it's an interesting fit for a team who has so much defense already um that I think you know, you can make more allowances to try to add somebody on who um, who fits in with a team that defends the way they do. Brogdon is an interesting fit with them, too, uh, as someone who can play on or off the ball with Oladipo and can maybe help you there, and I think would have been a better fit than somebody like Rubio, um, and I'm glad that they didn't make that move. So they're interesting, and I think the Bulls have been interesting, too. Uh, I wrote a story about them yesterday, um, just kind of, you know, not anything that would really jump out at everybody is, you know, they're going to be really great this season. I don't know that they will be, but I just think, you know, smart decisions and, and kind of low risk decisions that they made at different positions that helped them on defense that will definitely help them on offense with Sadoransky. Um, I thought that that young signing was fine for them. And even, you know, the deal with, uh, Luke Cornett, I thought made a lot of sense for their bench. And just guys that I don't feel like are going to take the ball out of the hands of the guys that they need to really develop offensively. So that obviously being Zach Levine, Larry Markkinen. Um, I, I think they've made smart moves. That, you know, if it were a situation where you know maybe an injury or two happens to teams in the East, I think we could have a conversation about them maybe. Being a playoff team, if they finally are able to stay healthy, because I I just think that getting those things right around the edges and getting more development from your young guys, I think, actually could make a huge difference for them. Just like we saw Milwaukee take a huge leap after they lost Jabari Parker, um, getting rid of Parker, not having Portis and kind of adding guys that are more neutral or actually, you know, guys that really help you. um, I think that that could make a a huge difference for them. And so I, I really like their signings as well. I was
2: going to start in a little bit of a different direction, but there were a lot of good comments there, and I think the last one is is something I want to get into, which is the idea of the back end of the East playoff picture. So when I did that kind of preliminary tiers, one of the things that I noticed was there are, there are four teams in the East that I don't expect to make the playoffs. You know, all of them can. It's just that I I, I would be surprised, and that's the Knicks, the Hornets, the Cavs, and the Wizards. Like, you know, they, to me, they just okay. don't have the same talent level. And so if you're not writing them off, but if you're expecting that four teams aren't going to make it in, then you're already down to 11 teams for eight spots. And what I started thinking about was how the the other teams of the bottom, so the Bulls and the Hawks, I think it's opening up a little bit for them, maybe more than people think. And that's not because the teams at the bottom of the East playoff picture last year got significantly weaker. In many cases, they didn't. I mean, Miami, I think you can make an argument that they got stronger. Brooklyn, we're going to have to see how they flesh out their team. The Pistons, I think, have had an an underrated summer so far, but it does depend on some of it was long-term plays like Sekou Dumbuya, who I really like, and... But what I think changed is that, you know, the Hawks and the Bulls got a little bit stronger. And so I think they have a better chance and they get a reset. The Bulls last year, the beginning part of the season was sabotaged by injury. They didn't really have a healthy roster. And with the Hawks, they just didn't figure it out. I mean, John Collins, they didn't get John Collins back for a little while and... They're a deeper team now. Now, both of those squads are probably going to rely, quote unquote, too much on young guys to maximize their playoff chances, which I 100% support. That's what you should do as a young team. But generally speaking, you know, it takes young guys a little bit of time to figure it out. So I'm, I'm really interested in that and, and how all that shakes out and then how that combines with, let's say, a team like the Magic. So the Magic... They were one of the lower teams in the East last year. They went 40 and 42, but they did make the playoffs and they did win a game against the eventual NBA champions. But they basically made the decision to run it back. They used the mid-level exception on Alfredo Camino, a player I like, but is largely overlapping with the guys that they have. And they used their first round pick on a player who's recovering from a long-term injury. And so he's probably going to be out for a while and rookies don't usually help that much. And they didn't really do anything to address the point guard. Issue. So basically, what I'm kind of thinking about is well you know it isn't necessarily we'll see what happens with Toronto that anybody took a big step down, I think that the bottom of the e- like the bottom of the East playoff picture is tightening up a little bit, and I'm kind of excited about that.
1: No, I, I mean, I'm I thought it was kind of cool to watch last year. It was it was it was strange last year because, with the exception, I think, of Orlando, um, you had a lot of other teams that were kind of treading water to make it in, um. So, you know, the Pistons obviously had a, a big advantage on everybody toward the end of the season and then just couldn't win any games. The Nets were kind of in the same spot as well. Miami was kind of just, you know, a win here, a loss there. Um, and, you know, it was kind of unfortunate to not see them be able to figure it out and get in with Wade in his last season. But that said, you know, generally speaking, when you've got four or five teams that all have a shot to make it in the last two, three weeks, that's really fun Um but, you know, I think this time you might see teams with a little bit more firepower or a little bit more a little bit more veteran leadership, um, you know, and guys that are kind of used to these sorts of fights as opposed to having so many young guys in, in battles like that. So, I mean, I do think that'll be interesting. I, I do think it's fair to to say that the bottom of the – like even, you know, even the Knicks, I think, as much as this is going to be a disappointing offseason for them or has been already – Um, you know, people laughing at the idea that they're competitive now, I I understand it. I mean, no one expects them to make the playoffs, but I I look at that team and if it weren't for how many young guys they have that they're going to be giving so much time to, I don't think that they're like a horrible, horrible roster. I I, I think that they actually have some talent on that roster and they also have some vets now all of a sudden that are on that roster that are going to be decent players. I I think Ellington kind of falls in that category I think Gibson, although he's obviously in the back end of his career, falls in that category. I don't think that they have enough strong guard play right away, and we'll obviously see kind of how Barrett does and how he is. But I, I think that if they had more strong veteran guards or wing players that, you know, realistically, if there are injuries to other teams, that they actually could be a little bit more in that conversation too. Because we know, we always know that teams are going to be dealing with injuries. We always know that a team is going to win five, six more games than we thought and in a tight race like that, it really may not take much more than that to really get yourself in the conversation for the eighth or the ninth spot or the eighth, eighth or ninth place. And so it, it is interesting. And I do feel like the East has gotten a little bit better at the bottom, um, all while saying that the, the top of the East, without knowing what Kawhi has has, has decided to do yet, um, you know, you look at the Celtics and, you know, you might expect for them to take a little bit of a step back, um, maybe more than that, based on losing Horford. Um I think Kemba will probably be a, a pretty good fit there, actually, with with who else they have left. Um, but Philly, you know, I don't really, I don't know what to think of Philly. I, I feel like if you told me that this is what they're going to do this summer, I probably would have kind of grimaced a little bit um, because I I just didn't think it was possible that they would lose Butler after the postseason that he had. Um, after you know, the fans, I think, kind of fell in love with him there. Um, you know, saved them in in a, in a game or two, kind of woke them up in a different way. And in other games, you remember the game where he kind of got ejected for having him beats back there with the whole Dudley thing. And that sort of stuff just seemed to really impact the, the Sixers in a positive way. And if I had a choice between him and Tobias Harris, I know how much younger Harris is. Um, I know how much mileage Butler has, but at this point, when you go out and you get an Al Horford anyway, um, To me, it kind of seems like you're already committing really heavily to the idea of doing this right now. I know that you're built around two guys that are much younger than that, but um, it just seems like to me, offensively and defensively, I feel like you'd get more out of Butler um, than you would out of Harris. And I I know our projection model didn't really love the Harris resigning. They also gave up quite a bit for Harris, so I understand it. But I just kind of feel like um, if I had my choice of what I was doing, with the Sixers, I really, I, I like Josh Richardson, by the way, too. I mean, I I, I don't want to overlook that completely. Um, I think he could be really great for them. I think defensively they're going to be a nightmare um, for other teams. I really would have been interested to see them get uh, a, a point guard who, who can do a little bit, like a, tr- a more traditional point guard, so that it doesn't hurt you quite as much at times when when a team can take Simmons out of a game or out of a series with his inability to shoot. Um, I I just think on some level if he's not in transition, um, you know, you put him in that dunker spot sometimes, but I just think it kind of clogs things up, and I'd like to see them have someone else that handles the ball. Um, who also can kind of play defense. I thought Brogdon would have been interesting for them. Who knows whether they could have made that happen. But I, I was really interested to see them go get Horford, um, at a time where, you know, I kind of was was expecting them to go and get more of a traditional point guard. So anyway, I say all that to say this, that the top of the East really, to me, hasn't become resolved at all, especially without Kawhi making his choice. Um, And I think because of that, I think most of those teams have kind of stayed within probably three, four, five win or loss projection of what they already were at. And because of that, I think that the bottom of the East has kind of gained a little bit, maybe not the very bottom. But like you said, that that eight to 11, maybe 12 spot um, all seem like they'll get better. And because of that, I think it is interesting. And I think maybe the East has gotten stronger. Um, who knows whether or not they've gotten stronger relative to what we expect out of the West, but I do think that those teams will be better.
2: Yeah, I like that you grouped the the Sixers and the Celtics together because I think of them as the two, the two East pivots. There's a West pivot, and I think we'll spend some time on them as well. And what I mean by that is a team that it seems like what happened was their desired outcome, in the Celtics case, it seems like the writing was on the wall, at least for the most part, pretty early. In the Sixers Sorry. case, maybe less so. That they had to go to a plan B or a plan C and I think I'm a little bit more supportive of what the Sixers did, mostly because their defensive potential is otherworldly. I mean, this is they they and it's not only because they're like their starting five is really good. I think there's more versatility there now too. Josh Richardson is really good on smaller guards, and that was something they were missing. They also don't have the weak link of Reddick. Right? I mean, Reddick was was a great player, but you know, on defense, he gave them a point of attack. And now having Horford and Embiid, you can go with a lot of different styles, and they already have James Ennis. I'm guessing they'll take some more flyers on the perimeter as well. Maybe they get something from Zyre Smith or Thibault, you know, even if it's like 10 minutes a game from one of those type of guys, that could be another boost. And I do worry a lot about their offense. I think that's, that's going to be something that holds the And depending on, I mean, it seems like, actually, I don't want to spoil that. Something we'll talk about later. Um, but so, but I think overall, you know, if let's say it was a constraint that Jimmy Butler was going to leave, I don't know when Elton Brand would have known that or anything like that, but I think they did a pretty good job. And the point guard question is an interesting one. I think that Brett Brown has a big challenge ahead of him to maybe change the identity of this offense because they just, I think they need to do more through Joel Embiid. I think they want to maybe run some more pick and roll. They have... As crazy as it sounds, considering it's not like this is a great shooting team, I think oh, in the aggregate they actually do have more spacing. I think is, so too. Which yeah. is which is wild <laughs> yeah. because Rich, Rich, they have more guys that you have to respect, and sometimes that's more important than like a single guy who's really really good. It's right. just going in that direction. I think that is going to help them, and hopefully Brand can get a little bit more shooting on their bench going. F- as small as this sounds like, going from McConnell to Neto, I think could end up helping some of that stuff as well. I like Neto a lot as well. But Thank then the, the the Celtics are also fascinating. And And for me, what struck me as being so bizarre is... It's true that it's hard to get like a, a great starting center. I mean, the the Kyrie thing we saw that coming and bouncing back by getting Kemba is is great. I mean, the difference; those guys are different players, but the overall impact isn't that dramatic, depending on how those guys are health, how their how their health goes and how their age goes. But what I think is going to be the the elephant in the room for the Celtics beyond what happens with Gordon Hayward, I'm curious,
1: which is going to be the same thing that I'm thinking. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> is is their team defense? I mean.
1: Exactly. Okay.
2: The, the Celtics have been. I, this is true of, of the Warriors as well, and I, I shouldn't have jumped my own point. But the Celtics defense has been such an important part of their success the last few years. And Horford has been integral, but also it's a team effort. And, you know, they got more as rookies or young guys out of Brown and Tatum, especially in 17, 18. I thought that those guys did a great job. And Kyrie played the best defense of his career, damning with fame praise as it is. And. Ennis Canner played the best defense I've seen him put out there in that run in Portland, but he still has severe limitations. And what concerns me about Boston at this juncture is that in their preferred starting lineup, and at least as it looks right now, closing lineup, depending on how they structure all these things, running a 1-5 pick and roll might be the easiest way to attack their defense. And that's not a good sign because that's something almost every team does.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I was curious to see where you're going with that. I mean, because when really when you look at it, how you feel about their summer, I I feel like really depends on two things. One, how much of a gap do you feel like there is between Kimba and Kyrie? And, you know, there are some people that I don't know, you talking to different people, you would get different opinions, but some people would say it's not that horrible. Um, And I think the other thing that a lot of people take into uh, account with Kyrie is kind of like what impact is he having on your young guys from like a, you know, from a morale standpoint, you know, is he is the kind of off the wall stuff that he says helpful or hurtful. I I imagine a lot of people would say it's probably not helpful at times. Um, And so how do you feel about that? Um, You know, Kyrie also has had a more extensive injury history too, than than Kimba Walker It's something to take into account. So that would be the first major question, obviously, but also if Kimba was willing to come, which he obviously was, And Kyrie was out the door. Regardless, it kind of doesn't matter. You know, you weren't going to be able to keep Kyrie. And so that's number one, that question. Number two is obviously how do you feel about Horford and kind of his aging curve and and the idea of whether or not he was going to be worth the money? Because it sounds like they probably could have kept him if they were willing to spend as much um, or to go longer on the contract or what have you. And so, you know, I think that's a very fair question to ask, too, at Horford's age. But even if you didn't necessarily want to keep Horford at that money, looking now at the situation and looking at Cantor um, gets to something that you just talked about, where he did look a lot better at times and, and you know, was able to cover um, switches and screen and rolls a little bit better or a lot better, depending on how you viewed it. Um But can he do that consistently and can he do that over the course of a season or is it something that he can just kind of lock in on for the playoffs or try to lock in on a little bit more, knowing that teams are going to basically feed him a steady diet of that? Um, And I, I mean, even if he can, I would probably still be willing to take a 35 or 36 year old Al Horford's ability to do that as opposed to his. And, you know, offensively. I think we know exactly what Cantor specializes in. Um, and, you know, he'll never be Al Horford and have Al Horford's skill set from that standpoint. I do think that what he does is underrated. I actually think that Cantor, as weird as it sounds, would have been a, a really, really good fit for a team like um, the Lakers, potentially, especially depending on whether or not they go out and they get um, somebody like Kawhi. And it wasn't realistic that he was going to wait that long. That, um in Cantor's case. But I, I kind of view Cantor as someone that if you have him in a situation, I think, like um, like the Blazers, I, I think even like Oklahoma City or something like that, where I think he has even more value on clubs like that, because if you've got two or three guys that really are dependent upon a shoot that you kind of have, uh, you know, Cantor in position to kind of take advantage of Kobe assist, basically where he can just get put-backs because either you can't focus on him enough or getting a body on him, um, and he's just in position all the time, almost like a vacuum to just kind of clean something up. And so I, I don't know. It, you know, may, Well, we'll see. Obviously, Tatum is still there. You're going to have Kemba. So you're going to have a couple of guys that are taking the bulk of the offense. So maybe maybe he has that sort of success in Boston too. But I think he actually can be even more successful with teams that have a bunch of star players or a couple of really big star scorers. Um, and I kind of would have liked his fit. I think that was part of why he worked in Portland because of all the attention you have to give to CJ and Dame, but maybe that will work well in Boston too. But obviously the key to it is the defense um, because I, I think that, you know, Kyrie and in, in some cases you would prefer to have him over Kemba from that standpoint. And I think that Horford, there's no question about which player was better defensively, even with Horford, maybe having lost a half step last year. Um, that you'd still trust his instincts more than you ever would with Cantor. And in game-ending lineups, as you said, I I think that figuring out how Boston navigates that and figuring out how Boston is able to do in the playoffs in a situation like that will be huge uh, as to whether you can keep Cantor on the court. Right.
2: And Cantor, like a few other bigs, I would have DeMarcus Cousins in this conversation, at least as of what we saw from him last year, still recovering from injury and all that, but also this is just his general game. Is that they're players who I think are more valuable on teams that do not expect to, let's say, make the conference finals because they bring a lot of positives to the table and their negatives aren't as prevalent in the regular season. But if they get into the best, the best, their limitations in pick and roll and all those other things become bigger deals. So now with Cousins last year, got them got them at level, not that big of a deal. But with but in and they had other options, which is I think what was important. And, and in this case, now. If Kander doesn't work, especially because, the as of right now, the Celtics don't have any of those like big fours that can potentially play the five, that really, if, let's say, Candor that night isn't working, they're looking at Tice, they're looking at Robert Williams, and maybe one of those guys takes a big step up. I, I think both of them have the potential to. But if the Celtics think they have these lofty aspirations, I think those things get in. And so it's hard to know exactly who would have been available. Like, for example, the money they could have offered Kavan Looney would have been pretty similar. It actually would have been a year shorter than what the Warriors ended up giving him. But I would have liked Looney more because I think he fits their defensive idea more and because the Celtics have, broadly speaking, I think they have enough offensive talent where Kander's value add isn't as strong on that end of the floor.
1: No, I agree with that. I mean, Looney was one of those. I I feel like there were a few deals that really jump out at you and you're like, that's all the guy got. And I mean, it's not to say that I expected the Warriors to pay him way more than that because we obviously understand some of their restrictions right now, um, especially bringing on D'Angelo Russell, which is a totally separate conversation. But I mean, um, and I know Nate was someone that kind of felt the same way I did about the, the Russell move and immediately wondered what it meant for everybody else. Obviously they're going to have to consider getting rid of Iguodala, um, but also the idea that it might um, kind of constrain their ability to keep um, Looney as well. And once they kept Looney, I was like, wow, that's all he's going to get. Mostly because I thought that some other team would step up and, and take him away because of how well he played in the playoffs. And, um, you know, as I talked about Jeremy Lamb and the idea of him being um, Pretty much I mean our, our, our system, when he agreed to that deal that first full day of free agency, I went through and recounted every single signing and kind of you know what they got in the deal um, through the reports and for the amount of a, the average annual value of their deal, and weighed it against five thirty eight projection model of, of what they're expected to produce as far as statistically and um, from an advanced metric standpoint. How much that contribution would be worth. And basically, um, you know, for guys like Kemba and guys like Kyrie, max level guys, they always have the ability to outproduce um, a max deal. And that's why, you know, people so many people are of the opinion that um, that you should just allow teams to pay whatever they want for these guys uh, and just make it a t- completely open market. So that you can do that as opposed to capping what someone can earn and then just making a team kind of deal with the ramifications of that um, through the salary cap. But anyway, aside from the top four max guys who I think were um, Durant, Kyrie, Kemba, and I think maybe Butler if I'm getting it right – Jeremy Lamb was fifth on the first day as far as the best value um, per season that you're getting, where you were like getting $11 million more production and his projected statistical value than what he was being paid. And that was the first day. And then I think Looney's situation came about the second day. And I'll be the first one to admit that I think that our projection model just loves Kevon Looney way too much. But I I think he kind of blew away even uh, Jeremy Lamb and what he was earning as far as um, as far as how much he was going to outproduce his contract by, uh, um, because our system has him being worth like fifty million a year, which is insane. Wow! Uh, I think, I, 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 unless I'm getting it wrong, and maybe I could try to look at it while we're on the phone here. It's kind of one of the biggest there are a couple that stand out to you. you are like, this is kind of nuts. One of them is um, <laughs> Kevin Knox is worth I think. Uh, negative 90 million over the next five years. According to the system, it really hates him. And, I mean, he had a really, really rough season, and so I think that's understandable as to why it looks that way. His numbers, like, almost come off the charts. Like, it, there's literally a chart that you look at, and it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense because you look at it and you you almost can't see some of the numbers because they're literally sliding off the chart. But um, in Looney's case, yeah, I'm looking at it now. His five-year market value, according to our system, is $156 million over five years. And so, like I said, I would be the very first person to say that is nuts. It's wrong. Um, I think he's a very, very good player. But I also think that, you know, until he's in a situation where he's getting to do more offensively, we don't know. We don't know how exactly how much he should be worth. But, you know, within that system for Golden State, I don't think he's going to be called upon to do that much, um, you know, because of the other offensive guys that they've got. Um but you know it basically grades him as having a fantastic plus minus which a lot of guys on Golden State have. It has him as being a fantastic rebounder it has him being a, a fantastic shot blocker, and his true shooting percentage is off the charts and he 's a big man and so you know these things all those things are are things that come at a premium specifically if you 're good on defense but yeah, it has him as being a fifty million dollar a year player um, and it has him as a future all star in our system so I I think that it is you know drinking the Kool-Aid way too heavily on him but that said when you can get anybody that has those sorts of numbers and that sort of you know advanced metric ability um for 5 million a year um, we're talking about something where you know it was it was it kind of blew my mind that that was all that they had to pay to get him back, and that nobody else was willing to come to the table with more than that, or maybe they were. And Looney kind of said, "If you can get me this, I'll stay." And I don't know what you know what the dynamics of that were. It seems like he likes playing there. Um, they talked him up in a way that I thought that was really interesting. Where um, Kerr kind of called him, I think repeatedly, essentially like a foundational piece of this team and that you know he's a big part of this team and he kept saying that you know not quite anywhere near the way that they were talking about Durant as being the best player in the world and stuff like that where it felt like to some extent even if they think that maybe this is part of trying to recruit Durant back um, it, it legitimately felt like they understood the value of Kevon Looney and really wanted him to stay there and needed him to stay there and so maybe Looney kind of was giving them a deal I don't know but um, but the guy has incredible value. I, again, I don't think anywhere near what our system has him at. But um, I was surprised that, that nobody else stole him away, uh, particularly after it became more clear that Iguadala was going to be forced to – to um, well, not forced, but that the, the Warriors were going to make a deal that kind of forced him out. Um, I figured that somebody else would step up and take Looney away from them, but you know, to the Warriors' credit, they didn't let that happen.
2: Yeah, I think the takeaway. I'm sure there are people who, when they see a model put out something like that, freak out and go, "Oh, look! That means it's it's so screwed up and everything like that." And the way the way that I would, when I see things like that, or major outliers, and something like synergy, or just in counting stats or whatever it is is you try to see, well, okay, it's overstating things, but is there a is there reason there that is worth maybe that that other people are missing something? And I think that's a really interesting question with Looney. And his fit with the Warriors, I think, is actually a little bit worse now than before, just because part of what made Looney so great with the Warriors was that they had so much offensive talent that having a extremely right. low usage hardworking executor worked really well because they just didn't need the things he wasn't bringing right. and i thought that worked that worked well without durant without clay thompson for most if not all of this regular season that's going to be more of an issue plenty more to talk about with chris herring but first a message from betonline.ag Summer action is heating up. We are in the beginning of July and there's a whole lot of excitement in Major League Baseball, the Women's World Cup, UFC, MLS soccer, and so much more. There is only one place that has you covered, one place you can trust. That's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code podcast1 for your 50% welcome bonus. I have become engrossed in the Women's World Cup. It was the US England game was fantastic. Now we get to see the US in the final on Sunday morning. Really excited about that. And you can check that out just like baseball and MLS and everything else that's going on at betonline.ag. So you can go there and use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% welcome bonus, which is fantastic. Or if you want, you can text BETNOW, B-E-T-N-O-W, to 238 Either way, you get that 50% welcome bonus. So PODCAST1 promo code or B-E-T-N-O-W to two three eight six six nine via text at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. You can also hear my conversation at the very end of this podcast with Dave Mason of betonline.ag. We have a really interesting conversation about adjusting futures lines based on free agency and how rapid fire it is. And so it's a lot of fun. You can you can hear about that and how the process works, which so just. What I'm most interested in talking about with him. Also, have a message from TrueCar. TrueCar has been a proud supporter of Real GM Radio for years, and so we want to partner with them to hear all about your True Car experience. You may even get an Amazon gift card to kick off your summer. We want to hear all about your experience, so send us an email to TrueCar T R U E C A R at podcastone and that is the number one written out P O D C A S T O N E dot com, and tell us about your shopping experience with TrueCar the first 200 people to email will get a $20 Amazon gift card. So you have to send in your email soon and we can't wait to hear from you at dot onecom so, so let's jump into the Warriors. We already got in there with Kevin Looney. So <laughs> a couple, a couple of, of fascinating things and I have things in the works, unsurprisingly, about the Warriors. And I, I think the most important part of this we're not going to know right away and it's that Bob Myers took a really big bet. My instinct is that D'Angelo Russell, the the more likely scenario is that he is not a member of the Golden State Warriors for years to come. I think he will be. uh, And, And so basically what Bob Myers did was say we're you know we basically we don't have the capacity to sign a high value guy if Kevin Durant leaves and with Klay Thompson coming back and presumably maybe actually doesn't matter that much either way Draymond Green coming back in 2020 we're not going to have that capacity anytime soon right. and so basically then what it is is not only is D'Angelo Russell at a bare minimum kind of a human trade exception because you can you can use his big salary to get another similarly large salary. But also, ideally and theoretically, he will be a positive value on that contract. So that means that you can get somebody or a couple of somebody's, depending on how it works, who are higher priced and can can help out the team. And so basically the bet was you can get more from D'Angelo Russell eventually, whether that's an individual player or a collection of players, than what you sacrificed to bring him in now. And I think what is getting undersold in all of this is how much they sacrificed.
1: The six, so, just beyond. Yes. Would, uh, yeah, I, so, I agree.
2: It sounds like the Nets, the one they sent to the Nets, is pretty heavily protected, and that also makes a little bit more sense. With the subsequent, I mean, Albert Namad has done some wizardry around this. That basically structuring the Durant thing as a sign and trade is helping the Nets too, because that allows them to, to run these numbers a little bit, and they can they can pay their guys close to full value, create some cap space out of thin air, or spending power out of thin air for DeAndre Jordan. But and it seems like Sean Marks is on the same page there with some of the guaranteed reporting that we have out there, and and so there is value there. But then they gave up a first round pick to dump Iguodala, which was seems to me to be a real rush job. Like I mean, Iguodala close, I mean close to neutral value to me. And they basically said, oh my god, we have to do this in day one. They didn't want to be be pressured and all that kind of stuff. And then their their teams with more space, than they know what to do with all that sort of stuff. So so, there's the opportunity cost there, and I think that's the more important one. But the other one that's being lost in this is by being hard capped, they are extremely limited in terms of how they fill out the rest of the roster. Keeping Looney is a huge, huge step. Like that, that is, you know, he's and getting him for multiple guaranteed seasons. So it's two and a player option is what we're hearing now. That's huge too because what that means is if they end up doing this big D'Angelo Russell swing and let's say it succeeds, they already have Kevon Looney for $5 million or some thereabouts. And that's fantastic. You know, like that's a really nice piece. Steph and Clay are already there. Presumably Jeremiah Green is there. But basically having to fill out the rest of the roster with minimums and dump Iguodala and give up at least one first-round pick for the trouble, that's a lot. Oh,
1: of course it was. Um, And I mean, I I, I think to... to Go back to one point that you made about the style of play that works with certain guys and may not work as well now. I mean, Clay was a perpetual motion. I say that like Clay is dead. Clay is a perpetual motion kind of player, um, where you can't just guard him. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought about someone like Steve Novak in the years I covered the Knicks. Is a guy that you know might come off a screen or two or more than that, but is largely a guy that. If you forget about him, he'll make you pay for it. Clay, you can be basically in his jersey, and he can still knock down a three on you, aside from the fact that he's running all across the court the entire game. So not having him in the mix um, is huge. I mean, we don't even really have to go into how big it is to not have Durant, obviously, who can do a little bit of everything and you know is also seven feet tall. Um, so taking those two guys out of the mix for at least most of the season— obviously Durant for the entire season and going forward, um, everybody's role on offense becomes different uh, because everybody theoretically has more attention being paid to them now. Uh, Looney, that being true of him, but also another player that I think about too. I mean, we watched JaVale work so well with them and for them um, for that time. And it's really interesting to watch the Warriors now bring in Cauley Stein, who is someone that I think really could have benefited from those sorts of players, if they were there, um, because of his lob ability and stuff like that, and maybe neutralizing some of his weaknesses on defense by having other guys around, like Clay, all of a sudden now, you know, I, I don't dislike the fit for Willie Cauley-Stein, but I, I am curious to see how it works now without those other guys being there, um, because I don't think it's as much of a sure thing anymore um, to, to just kind of throw him in there and watch him rack up huge plus-minus numbers the same way that someone like JaVale did. Um, I just don't see that as being as great a fit anymore as it was before uh, because you're not going to have as many shooting threats or guys that you're deathly afraid of leaving open the way that you did before. And so between that, between the fact that, like you said, you've got to fill out the roster with mostly minimums now – um, it, it is going to be fascinating to watch. And, and I mean, I heard you mentioned this before in conjunction with the Celtics as it relates to the Warriors. I mean, I have real questions about their defense. Um, I would have had way more had they not been able to get Looney back than I do now. Um, I actually literally had kind of submitted a, a list of kind of story ideas to my editor. Earlier in the week And said "Um, You know Clay's not going to be there Durant is gone and You know People Kind of disagree sometimes On exactly how great Durant is on defense Or how good he is on defense But Between him Clay And the idea that At one point You know They're trading away Aguadala And it's not clear Whether they're going to even Be able to bring Looney back And they're putting Russell in the mix I Immediately Kind of submitted An idea to my editor Said we've got to write About how this impacts Golden State's defense And, you know, then they got Looney back. And so I'm kind of thinking in my head, I don't think their defense will be as good. Um, I I don't know yet exactly how the Russell fit will look. But, you know, to my eye, it's not a huge um, leap to say that they may not be a top half of the league team in defense anymore. Um, Just plugging in Russell's minutes in in place of someone like Iguodala, um, obviously Clay, and, and people like that. They they could be kind of rough, and that's just not something that you're used to thinking about um, when you think about the Warriors. Now, I think they were only, like, what, 13th last year? They they weren't great defensively last year, but that was with injuries. Um, and, you know, that's also with the idea that the team gets bored from time to time. But um, I think even if they're trying, you know, really trying next year, I'm, I'm sure Kerr will kind of whip them into shape as best he can. But it just doesn't strike me as a, a special team defensively anymore. And, um, you know, maybe there are some things that can help augment that. I, I think that Collie Stein, it's crazy to think that, you know, everybody's take on him coming out of college is that he was just going to be a beast defensively because of what he did in college. Towns was the same way. You know, a couple of those Kentucky guys have kind of had that reputation now. Um, but, you know, if it's an effort thing or an IQ thing, whatever it is, maybe you can get more out of, you know, kind of his natural ability – his physical ability, uh, once you kind of have a better coaching staff around him, um, I'm not sure. They're, they're, you know, It's still a little early to tell. But uh, like I said, to my eye, and I think I heard you saying some of this too, that like that's my concern with them. I think they'll be able to score. I, I think the scoring will become a little bit more difficult at times. We have to see the fit between Russell and, and Curry because, frankly, Russell didn't play all that well alongside uh, Dinwiddie, or at least the team didn't play all that well when they had that as a, a duo Um, with the lineup. Obviously, Curry is a lot different than someone like Spencer Dinwiddie, but um, we we have to see how D'Angelo Russell kind of fares with another guard who handles the ball as much as he does, because in the past, you know, with the Lakers, we saw it with Russell and and with the Nets. He wasn't always the best, um, you know, in, in terms of the team's overall concept when he had to share the ball so much with another ball handling guard. So, um, there are a lot of questions I've got, some offensive but, but mostly defensive questions about this team and how they look without even getting into who all they'll be able to add. Because as you said, it's going to get tight, and I don't think that the Warriors are going to be anywhere near a favorite um, or even you know, maybe a top four seed anymore in the West. And so how much are teams – how much are players just jumping at the chance to play with them now that they don't look like they're going to be a, a true contender in the West anymore?
2: especially when all they can offer is the minimum. Uh, A quick addendum. So you talked about Colley Stein and some of the other towns and some of the other Calipari Kentucky bigs. I'll add another one there, and this is going to be a a thread we can't probably talk about too much on this, but is worth noting. Anthony Davis. Davis came in with a sterling defensive reputation. I I expected him to win defensive player of the year at least a couple of times. And Maybe it's the offensive workload or everything else, but he hasn't quite gotten there, and that's going to be an important part of the Lakers season. But you can pick that thread up if you want, but I'm going to talk about the Warriors a little bit before we lose that one. Which is what made the Warriors special, and you're right, they they weren't as good overall last year defensively. Some of that was injuries, Draymond dealing with that shoulder thing, and those guys right. taking it easier during the regular season. But they still had the fastball when they were healthy. And the reason why is because the Warriors had this critical mass of intelligent, savvy, physically talented defenders. and that critical mass is definitely gone for the 1920 season because without clay or i mean as long as clay is out because they don't really have a replacement for him defensively either but probably moving forward because it's so hard to find those guys and they're missing too many of them and i agree that well, I don't agree. You didn't posit this. But Durant's defense, day in, day out, I think is overrated because he has these highlights. And when he's engaged, Durant can be a big positive. But those don't happen as often as people think. He gets right. the shot blocks, but you know he loses guys on screens. He can be inattentive. And that'll be more of an issue on the Nets because they don't have as much cleanup talent right now. Maybe they'll get it over the next year. Entirely possible. And so I think the Warriors are gonna are gonna lose that part of it. But remember the point that I just said about how the war part of the reason the Warriors f- fell down a little bit. They were ninth in defense on five thirty eight. But I think that's you know that that relates to garbage time and stuff. I like five, I sorry cleaning the glasses numbers. I was right. got the wrong name in my head and. The point about Draymond taking some time, yeah, he probably won't have like a a nagging injury like the shoulder, but the Warriors have benefited the last few years from being able to take it easier in the early part of the season. And they're not going to be able to do that if they, to me, even if they want to make the playoffs this coming year, because Curry, Draymond in particular, just have a lot on their shoulders. And so they're not coming off of, you know, like let's say LeBron where oh man, they they had all this uh, all this heat and then they have a lot coming into the season, but they got a longer summer because the Lakers didn't make the playoffs. The Warriors had a Arguably, a heavier workload this season because of Durant getting hurt and everything else, and guys dealing with nagging injuries than they did in the other years. They also had longer series because of the other injuries. You know, they went six games with the Clippers, they went six with the Raptors, including that catastrophic sixth game when Clay got hurt. And that's going to take a lot out of them. So that's why I think the way to handle this is just see where things are in February, and then at that point, you know, early February, is the trade deadline, and just figure figure it out. Then, if you can add some stuff and get better, you can do that. Of course, the Warriors also don't have much in the way of at draft assets, so it's a little bit harder to make a buy now move that kind of thing. But that, I think that's the way they're gonna gonna have to play it. I'm not. I don't know if that's what they wanted to do moving into their fancy new building, but that's what you have to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think your your point is well taken about the um about the fact that kind of how, how hard they pushed the pedal um at the beginning of the season. I mean, I think um, Bobby Mark said it, and I you know so I'm or I saw him getting pushback, or I or at least heard him talking about the pushback that he was getting on the idea that he doesn't think the Warriors will make the playoffs, or he's making kind of a bold prediction that they won't make the playoffs. I mean, we're at a point now where if Steph is out. And, you know, Steph generally misses a little bit of time each season um, that all of a sudden that I mean, why would anyone pick him to make it if Steph is projected to miss time? It, it basically becomes a little bit of a LeBron situation in in um, L.A. I mean, it, now it's harder to say that because I guess you've got you still will have two other all stars in Draymond and Russell. But my editor in chief, uh, Nate Silver, made a really good point uh, when we were talking during the finals where he said, you know, everybody would consider Draymond to green, green to be you know, a top 30, top 40 player at, at very worst. And I feel like that might even be putting it too low. But even if you said that, and generally speaking, the 30 to 40 range, you would still consider that to be a franchise player-ish just because of the fact that you've only got 30 teams. And so if you're a top 30 player, by definition, you would think of that person as being kind of a franchise player. But when you think about that, Draymond has so much value with the Warriors specifically because he's someone that doesn't need to take a whole lot of shots and because he's going to play his role regardless of whether he's getting those shots. He's a defensive player of the year candidate, you know, basically every year. Um, he can get triple doubles, um, you know, kind of at will, depending on how well he's playing. Um, and he's a, you know, he's a fantastic passer. He can score when he's really got it going. Um, and because of the way that you have to play him, He's really interesting, but he's – he's so he's like a franchise player in terms of where you rank him, but he's probably not a franchise player in terms of the sort of role that you would want him to play. You would never build your franchise solely around Draymond, and so it makes him really interesting. Um, so he is valuable, but you know I don't think that they would make the playoffs if he were their best player. Um, he probably will have to be their second or third best guy this year for them to do that, just like always. Um, but Russell is a player that, that is interesting because he's not – a He's not a completely well-rounded player. And I think that's kind of the difference here is that when you consider the Warriors and what they've been for the last five years, their best three or four guys for the most part have all been really well rounded. And all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where, you know, Draymond, I think you can kind of say that about for his offensive shortcomings. Um, You know, Steph has always been underrated defensively, but not great. Um, And all of a sudden now everything becomes thinner including the idea of how much margin for error you have when these guys sit out. And Draymond is going to be interesting because, you know, depending on whether they're able to get something done now, and you would know better than I do about whether they could talk, whether the extension stuff has to wait or if they have to go um, to next year with him as far as when they can talk contract with them. But his situation becomes interesting because, If for some reason they don't work stuff out beforehand, um, all of a sudden Draymond is playing for that next contract, he's got to play well, you would think. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine that they don't want him back, but at what money do they want him back and for how long do they want him back if he doesn't look great in a situation where they really need a lot out of him to make the playoffs? And so, you know, and if he's playing really hard, you know, as opposed to kind of taking it easier... Does that put him at greater risk for an injury? Um, and so there are all sorts of questions that make this really a, com- a really compelling team, probably as compelling as they've been in the last couple of years because of so, so much of the stuff we took for granted before that we no longer can do that about. But um, this team is, is going to be fascinating. I kind of don't know what to expect from them. I, I would be shocked. If they even approach the idea of 50 wins, really, with this roster, um, because it just feels like a very flawed team. All of a sudden, where all the guys that could cover up all the other shortcomings that your your you know uh, peripheral guys had, all of a sudden the peripheral guys have to step up and kind of become key contributors to this team. Um, and aside from the fact that you've lost some of the other guys that were somewhat peripheral that you only needed in certain occasions, now you don't have them either. So it's going to be a fascinating team. I really don't know what to expect, but I I would be surprised if they make the playoffs comfortably. I'll definitely put it that way. I I do still think they'll make it, but the idea that this will just be a breeze of a season for them, I don't see that being the case because I think a lot of these teams in the West have gotten stronger. And I, I think that there are other teams that, you know, that for whatever reason didn't put it together last year that might be able to do that now.
2: You inspired me to look up a stat that, strangely enough, I've never looked up before, which is, and this is where D'Angelo Russell, like you could argue that his season with the Warriors will be defined. Without Stephen Curry on the floor the warriors have had a below average offensive rating every season of stephen curry's career wow that includes the the dregs back when you know when he was on the team with monte and they were awful and and that includes the dynasty all of that time every single year when stephen curry's been on the floor they've had a below average offense now it hasn't been far below average every single year it's been at 46% a couple times and things like that and they have weaker personnel. Now, it is worth noting, like in the last couple of years, they've largely not staggered Durant and Curry. That theoretically could have led to some stronger offensive lineups than the ones that they put out there. But, I mean, they often still had two all stars. Clay and, Clay and Draymond were both frequently in those lineups. And Draymond, this, this, the non stagger with him and Curry really started late in the most recent season. But they still, you know, when Curry was out there, they were still able to put it all together. And so. If and and this is kind of a you know a big defining thing for for D'Angelo Russell is if he can elevate the Warriors' offense when the when Curry is off the floor. It It's more proof of concept for him in terms of being, you know, a legit all star moving forward. But also, it would be really interesting. It would be huge for the Warriors because they don't have, at this point, and maybe this will change with some of the minimum guys they get, they don't really have guys who can sop up offensive possessions and, more importantly, shots. They don't have those type of guys. So when Curry's not on the, Curry can create those, can create good shots for limited players. And he's going to have to do more of that than any time in recent vintage. But, I'm really interested in, in how Russell can work with that and also how Kerr runs his rotations. I mean, it's pretty obvious right now that Russell will be on the floor when Curry is not. But how do they run Draymond? How do they run some of these other things? And, and if Kavon Looney, let's say, that Curry's general preference has been for him to not start, though he often closes games, is how is all of that going to piece together? And does that maybe make sense because you want Willie Cauley-Stein out there with Curry because he's more limited?
1: Yeah, they, they've got so many questions. I mean, really... The, real, the, the, the thing that seems really clear to me, and we'll, we'll see it going forward, you you might know this better than I do. I'm going to try to look it up as I'm talking. But, um, I mean, you, the truth is you may have to play Steph. You just may have to play him longer minutes. But, again, you know, because of what you're saying about the, the plus-minus um, and the idea that they are kind of a dominant force when, when he's on the court and always have been but have not been that way when he's off the court. I mean, that's been the, the impetus for a lot of people saying that Steph – should be get more consideration for being the best player in the world, for instance, um, and, you know, that he that he was the best player on the Warriors, even when they had Durant. That was what it was rooted in, is that he he carried more value. And so for a lot of people, the idea of carrying the most value and the most on-court value should also be analogous with the idea of being the best player. And who cares? You know, at this point, like, I'm kind of at a point where, like, who cares about that? I think it's an interesting argument. I also think it's kind of semantics to some idea degree. They both were such good players that it kind of didn't matter. And if they were both healthy, that it, you know, tended to bode well for the idea of them being the the champion each year. Um, But what is interesting is that we look at Steph's numbers, you know, someone that was injury prone early on in his career since they've started this title run going back to 2014, 15. He hasn't played more than 34 minutes a game in a single season. Uh, And honestly, you know, that's been good for him. The fact that he hasn't had any major, major injuries, um, you know, and obviously he's still had times where he's been a little bit banged up or he's had to miss a couple weeks at a time, but nothing completely major that, that ruined an entire season of his, um, because of the injuries he had early in his career, that was what you would want to do is limit his minutes, particularly when you play for a dominant team like that, that has other guys that you can lean on. Um, so it'll become really interesting to see whether or not they're tempted to kind of stretch his minutes more to try to mitigate the the amount of time he's off the floor, where they are not going to win those minutes. Um, how much do you want to push that for the idea of if they are a back end playoff team, if they're you know fighting for an eight seed or a seven seed or something like that? Do you really want to push it too far? And I mean, everything about the way this franchise thinks now kind of is going to be under a microscope, even for themselves. About how much do you push people uh, physically when you know when you've got to think about their futures and, and the franchise's future? So I mean, it's not to say that you know that's exactly the same as Durant's issue at all. But do you want to push step into like a 37 minute range or 36 minute range even compared to what he's done in the past when he's been able to stay relatively healthy through most of this run? Um, I don't know the answer to that question, and I also don't know. If Russell is really, really good and he can be really, really good in the minutes that Steph isn't playing, maybe you feel even less need to do that. Um, And that would be huge for them if Russell is that good to where they don't need to push Steph's minutes a lot farther up than what they've been. But, you know, you've got a lot of things to consider. You're going to have to really kind of watch and see how the fit works for a lot of these things now. Because, like we said, with Durant, they had enough proof of concept – of being able to win without him, maybe not a title. And we saw that happen with the Raptors and, and the shortcomings with that. But we'd seen the three of their, their other big three with Draymond clay and, and Steph to get a sense of how they play, what sorts of players work well around them, how they do that. Um, we've not seen them have to do that without clay and, and definitely not without clay and without Kevin Durant. And, um, what we did see of that in the finals was not the most encouraging, um, and so now they throw Russell into that mix, he'll help, but there are going to be ways in which he hurts that too. And so I don't know what it will mean for minutes distribution, but that's a big question going forward too. You've also got Curry on a, a lengthy contract for a lot of money. And so I would like to think that you don't push him too far, but um, but at the same time, I, I do think there are going to be um, things from a standings constraint and, you know, from a, a standings point of view where, you know, there probably will be a temptation to to roll Curry out there a lot more than he's been in the last couple of years. There's also a
2: challenge that Kerr is gonna to have to be a little bit more flexible in terms of his scheme, just because they don't like they don't have as many guys that are gonna be good in a ball and player movement based system. They don't have a Clay Thompson, they don't have as many intelligent passers. They're really gonna miss Iguadala there. And and Durant was a was a very good passer as well. He was inconsistent transition, but as a half court passer, I thought he did a nice job. There are two other quick things I'd like to discuss with you. One is, just from a team-building perspective, there are two squads that I'm really fascinated with in different conferences, and that's the Pacers and the Blazers. They have this unusual parallel that both teams, through the players that departed and just how they were constructed in the first place, it looks to me like both of those teams are largely going to have three guards and two centers on the floor. They just don't have that many forwards. So Indiana acquired... T.J. Warren, they also have Doug McDermott, and then... Portland has basically had this exodus. Harkless is gone now via trade, a minu sign, and really their forwards now are Anthony Tolliver and Mario Hazonia. And yes, I love Mario Hazonia, but we'll talk about those limitations. And so both what's different about that is this is not these are not teams in rebuilding mode or teams in a holding pattern or anything like that. Both of them expect to make the playoffs, and I think both of them would love to to win at least one series in the playoffs. And it kind of seems based on who is still on the board and what those teams have left that how they're going to handle this is they're going to slide guys up like I think Jeremy Lamb's going to play a lot at the three especially once Oladipo gets back. And same for Bazemore and Rodney Hood in Portland. And then the other thing is they're going to slide fives down. So Sabonis, most prominently, it looks like he's going to start at the four for the Pacers. And then Zach Collins, I mean, when you bring in Hassan Whiteside, I think Collins is going to play a lot more at the four as well. And so I'm really fascinated to see how those twin experiments work.
1: Yeah. I mean, Portland, it's so funny. It is so funny because I, and I tweeted about this the other day. I... So often, every year, I mean, Portland has, to some extent, ever since they got Nurkic, um, has kind of run it back, I think, more than most teams. They, they seem to kind of thrive on the idea of continuity. Um, we saw them blow things up a few years ago, obviously, the year that they lost Aldridge and they lost West Matthews. Ever since then, they've kind of been a team that is really trusted in the idea of continuity. I think almost too much, or at least I always have thought that. And despite what I think, every year they go out and win at least five to ten games more than what I think they will. Um, you know, last year I was really tough on them in the offseason because it seemed so clear that they needed a shakeup. They had been swept by the Pelicans. Um, and, you know, there were also the rumors that came out, I think Chris Haynes had put it out there, that they were interested in getting Boogie but didn't pull the trigger because Boogie and um, Nurkic had the same agent. And so it was like a conflict of interest, so they didn't do the deal um, and they ended up just running it back with Nurkic instead. And I was so vocal about where I was like, that's such a huge mistake. You know, Boogie is their one opportunity to really, you know, give this team a new ceiling potentially. And someone coming off an injury is kind of a lower risk sort of proposition to go get him. But you have maybe a third star that you can really build around now. And, of course, they don't get Boogie. They, they run it back with Nurkic. Nurkic is fantastic. And they make the playoffs as, you know – as, as a team that does real damage and makes it to the Western Conference Final, so I've, I've kind of found it necessary to almost hold my tongue with Portland Hour to give them more benefit of the doubt. I think it speaks to how well Terry Stotts does. I think it speaks to Dame's leadership. Um, I have been a little befuddled by some of the stuff, though. I mean, I, I, I think Baysmore is a, a very good pickup um, for them. Uh, you know, for Turner in particular, I, I think that was smart. I look at the situation with Tolliver as being completely fine. I think he would fit most teams. The white side one for me, I, I didn't love the idea of losing Harkless, but I think Harkless is, is a, a good player. Um, and looking at the larger scheme of it, that was all in conjunction with the Jimmy Butler sign and trade. And the white side pickup for me just kind of had me scratching my head. Um, I get that Nurkic will miss some real time here. Uh, I don't know when he'll come back. I don't know how good he'll be when he'll come back. Whiteside is an interesting gamble. Um, but it, it I think it's a big gamble for Portland on the premise of the idea that they have such a good infrastructure there where you're hoping that Dame and, and McCollum and, and Stott will kind of be able to keep everyone on the straight and narrow because Whiteside, I mean, Whiteside I, I literally forget about Whiteside sometimes when I think about a team like Miami, um, just because of how 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 easy it is for us to not view him as a max player because he's basically not a guy that you can't play interchangeably with different lineups, a guy that when he pouts is useless. Um, And the idea that Portland has so few guys on their roster like that, or really any guys on their roster like that. Um, If he's good and he can work within those lineups, it gives them, again, maybe a little bit of a new ceiling um, because Whiteside is from more or less been kind of in bubble wrap um, over the time that he's been in Miami because they haven't been able to make full use of him. He clearly isn't a max player, but could still be useful in the right situation. And Portland has a better chance than really anybody, I would think, of kind of um, getting him in line with those sorts of things. So, I didn't like that move for them, Um, but you know, in order, I I, I feel like I'd be hypocritical if I said that they're not taking gambles to try to make give the team a new ceiling. It is interesting because they are right in the mix. They will feel disappointed if they don't win at least a round, and at this point, maybe two, because of how well they did last year. Um, But I don't know that Whiteside was the answer there, so I'm I'm interested to see that. Indiana is very interesting too because it, it it did kind of feel like at times. For as great as Sabonis was, they weren't all that successful playing Sabonis and Turner together. Um, they clearly had problems when Oladipo wasn't there. They kind of put way too much on Bogdanovich uh, from an offensive standpoint. They didn't have enough other guys that could really create. Collison retired. They were probably going to go in a different direction point guard anyway. So they bring in Brogdon. I mean, I, I think all of a sudden you look at that. Brogdon... Is fascinating. I think he would have fit a lot of different teams. I think a lot of different teams are interested in him, and that's why his number was so high in free agency. I saw a stat that made me really interested that that basically he is just a dynamite shooter when he's left wide open. And obviously, in in Milwaukee's offense, a lot of his shots were going to be wide open in a wide open offense. Um, All of a sudden, you know, the Pacers are a team that does not have great spacing. And when Oladipo is not there, you can really key in on everybody. You don't have to ever really help aggressively on any one player on that, on that team. Um, if and when Oladipo is missing time, how does that impact Brogdon? Because he basically wasn't a great shooter when he wasn't left wide open. Um, and so you know, a guy that really benefited from all the attention that Giannis was going to get and Middleton and some of those other guys, can he kind of get closer to those numbers of how he shoots when he's wide open as opposed to when he's not. Um, And I don't know that he can. But even if he can't, I think he fits well within their defense. Um, And I I really want to see what Jeremy Lamb does, because if he's good and he is productive with that team, um, I do think all of a sudden they've become better on offense, away from just having Oladipo. And obviously getting Oladipo back will be a huge lift for them too, if he's himself or if he's close to himself. Um, But the Pacers are so interesting just because they still have elements of their team that don't seem to fit perfectly but i think this was the right kind of step they needed to take i I mean i don't think that anyone is going to think that they're going to come out of the east necessarily but they would have been a really interesting team if oladipo had been healthy i think they would have had a chance to win at least a round or two um, if they'd been totally healthy and I, i don't think that they lost as much as what some people might think defensively with bogdanovich and 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 thad young and even if they did i think that you know um Getting Brogdon there, a bigger guard than what they had there last year, I think that that will help a ton. And I think that Lamb has a lot of length. That Although he's not a great defender, I think that he can be okay within the rest of the scheme of what they're doing. So I I think both teams are interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make it – too far. I mean, I I don't think that the, I don't see the, the Blazers being the, the team that gets to the Western Conference Finals again. I think that there are some things that fell into place really nicely for them. Um, and I I don't see the Pacers regardless of kind of how well things go. I'd be surprised if they get out of the second round this coming season. But um, but with Oladipo, if he gets back healthy, I could see them getting around. But both teams are really interesting. It felt like they both needed to do something um, I don't know that Portland did the right thing. I like what Indiana did, but I'm, I'm, you know, obviously both teams for me have kind of done well enough the last couple of years to where it's not fair to really question them too aggressively because stuff always seems to play out pretty well for them and they always seem to make the playoffs regardless.
2: I think they're going to miss Thaddeus Young a lot defensively, especially okay. like going, going with Sabonis. They're different types of players, and I just think they're a little bit less versatile, a little less mobile, and that that could end up having some ripple effects, especially when... Oladipo is out. And something that I've, I've wanted to keep an eye on is that I expected when Oladipo went down for Indiana's turnover-centric defense to really take a hit, and it didn't. But I think having Young on the floor was a bigger part of that. With Sabonis, he does get into the lanes a little bit, but I, I, I'm i going to be interested to see how their steal rate changes over the course of the season. It's going to be something that I keep an eye on. And Brogdon, I do think that he's a good fit. I think he's an especially good fit for when Oladipo comes back, but that'll be worth watching. The one other last kind of last point with this, is as I was kind of building out the tiers and yes, we don't know what's happening with Kawhi and that's going to change things a lot. I think it's going to be a very competitive race for the playoffs again in the West. Now, it's not going to be, I I don't think it's going to be as dominant just because you have some of these teams that are taking steps down, but it's the interplay between the teams that are on the rise, like Dallas, now that they're going to have Porzingis back, Sacramento, maybe Minnesota, depending on how their defense looks, maybe New Orleans, depending on how, how all this fits together versus, you know, like the Spurs and the Clippers, because we just don't know if they have Kawhi. Obviously, they're not in this conversation. Like, it, I think it's going to be something like 12 teams for eight slots at the beginning, and then at least two teams get knocked out for injury. And I'm fascinated to find out who those eight are, because I just don't know at this moment.
1: Oh, it's, it's going to be, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we always kind of do this a little bit in the off season, but particularly this year, where you look at situations, and I kind of feel like I've gotten away from that idea. When I was covering the Knicks, I used to always you know, make up a list of which teams I thought would make the playoffs in what order. And I was so off after the first year of doing that that I'm pretty sure I stopped doing it. I mean it would probably still be a fun exercise. But the the I think the scope of all the different teams that could make it is just massive at this point. I mean Dallas is really interesting. I actually think they've had a pretty good – offseason and we still don't even know that they're necessarily done I mean it's very clear that they'd like to be in on Danny Green and it seems like Green is waiting to see whether Kawhi wants to go back to Toronto or not um but if if he doesn't and if he does decide to go to one of the LA teams that Dallas would love to have Green um Dallas already got Seth Curry they've had uh, they've had you know they got uh Maxi Kleber back for uh, you know I, I think a pretty good deal honestly um They've done a really nice job, I think. I I mean, it's you know, I I don't know if they'll make the playoffs right away. Um, We don't know how Porzingis will look, which is a big part of it. We don't know that Doncic will take a a big step forward, or you know, um, I think we've seen at times with Tatum and other people like that that sometimes you can't assume a linear amount of growth um, from one season to the next for a young guy. So we we have to see certain things, but I think Dallas is good. I mean, I think that the West as a whole, really, Golden State kind of having that issue, it'd also be interesting to kind of get a sense of how much Golden State's injuries and, you know, losing Durant and stuff like that, how much that shifted the way that these teams chose to behave, uh, would choose to behave in free agency, uh, really going for it right now. You know, we haven't seen Houston do quite as much, but, you know, at the time, we literally are only what, three weeks removed, maybe four weeks removed from a report that said Houston had everybody on the table except for Harden, basically. Um, And all of a sudden, they haven't really moved anything. Now, they wanted to be in on Butler, but you know they basically haven't really adjusted much at all of that team. And I think that that might actually be their best play right now, with the exception of a move here or there, um, because of the fact that Golden State isn't healthy going into the season. So... It, it, I think you've got a lot of situations that are going to be really interesting to watch. Um, you know, I think Minnesota maybe just not having the turmoil of what they were dealing with last year and having Covington back healthy, if he's still there, obviously. Um, the Minnesota will, will be a team that's in play to make the playoffs again. It, it, it's just going to be really fascinating to watch the West. We already talked about how that's the case with the East. You know, Orlando running it back, and I think adding a good piece in Aminu. For that was one of the contracts that stuck uh, struck me. Is a pretty good signing and also a signing that our system at five thirty eight thought was a really good value signing for them. So I think that you've got a lot of teams that are going to be in the thick of it uh, for the playoff talk and conversation. Injuries, as always, are going to play a part in that and whether guys can stay healthy. Um, but I also think because there's so many teams that are in that conversation that – Teams that we generally think of as being, um, Teflon and that sort of conversation a team like Portland, for instance, I picked Portland and missed the playoffs last year and obviously was totally off with that. Um, but you know, some of these teams, the way they're built, if they lose a key guy and, you know, lose a key guy for 25 games, all of a sudden what we just saw happen with the Lakers could be true of them as well, um, because of how tightly contested these, hotly contested these playoff races are going to be.
2: Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating. And also, as you mentioned with Dallas, some of these teams... Lakers, Clippers, Mavericks in particular, could look very different a week from now. Like They could add a lot more talent, and those teams have real spending power here. So I'm excited to see where things go. Kawhi is the most obvious piece, but then the other ripple effects and how how this goes, I'm really excited to see it. And unless you have something else you want to talk about, I will thank you so much for taking the time. No,
1: I'm just just excited to see what happens with Kawhi. Part of me, the, the selfish part of me, just so that I can get stuff done around the house, I was telling you about some personal stuff that um, that I'm handling with my girlfriend and her family this week. Um, I'm hoping that Kawhi stays with Toronto so that I don't have to come up with eight million think pieces about what he'll look like with the Lakers and what else the Lakers will do. I mean, it'll obviously be really entertaining if that happens. Um, you know, on some level, if he leaves, I, I think him going to the Clippers would be really interesting too because it forces us to have a much larger conversation about how wide open the top of the West looks if he goes there. Um, you know, I don't think – some people will say, well, the Clippers didn't get that second guy. Um, the Clippers were pretty decent last year without him. And if they add him to the roster, all of a sudden, you know, I think that they've been they've been pretty smart in what they've already done with Magruder. I, I thought that the Harkless trade, I love them being in on that, um, basically saying that, look, we don't have a second guy that we're getting. And so let's dip into the space we have and let's take on assets, take on things that will get us assets. The idea that you would get, what was it, a first rounder that they got for taking on Harkless? I mean, the idea of getting a first rounder for taking on a, a productive role player is pretty nuts, but it's the sort of thing that smart franchises do. Um, and so, you know, if they add Kawhi to a team that was already, that already, you know, basically already had good bones and good structure to them, um, you know, the Clippers could would obviously be a team that you have to watch out for on, on a larger title scale, the same way that the Raptors were, where they just have a solid team and a solid base and add a superstar to it. So all all sorts of things could still happen. Um, I feel like the Lakers will be the, the loudest reaction we'll get if he chooses to go there. But I actually kind of feel like just on a scale of kind of like we don't know what will happen, Kawhi either staying put or Kawhi going to the Clippers would be most interesting, uh, whereas the Lakers would be like the most bombastic move he could make. But hoping that he picks something that, um, that requires less think pieces just so that the rest of us can get to a summer where we can kind of rest up and so I can work on a book that is due this time next year, but that's selfish part of me speaking. Regardless of how it plays out, I think it's already been a fun free agency, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes out.
2: Since we're giving selfish answers, I'll give mine, which is for selfish reasons, what I would like is for Kawhi to sign a one plus one, so one year with second year player option with Toronto, because then 2020 free agency is a lot more interesting If he signs a long-term deal wherever that is, then that class just doesn't have much sizzle, especially because while Anthony Davis will technically be a free agent, I don't think anybody really expects that to to bear much fruit So because he's going to stay with the Lakers, of course. So yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. I'm excited for it. Best of luck working on the book, and thanks so much for coming on.
1: No problem. I'm interested. One more thing I'll say. I, I keep saying that too. Obviously, Davis wanted to go there. Um, every time I say that somebody reminds me of the fact that Dwight was the same situation. Now granted, Kobe was a much different sort of player to play with than, um, than LeBron. And it seems like LeBron from what the reports are, that LeBron is kind of making it clear to Kawhi, even that he'll, that he'll do what's necessary to make that work. And that if he needs to take a step back in terms of ball handling, that he'll do that to, to better, uh, to better help the situation for Kawhi. Um, you know, I I won't put it past the Lakers to really botch something. (laughs) Um, the idea that Davis, you know, that while they have him and while he obviously wanted to end up there, that maybe stuff could go wrong. I don't think it would, given that Rich Paul represents both he and LeBron. But who knows? We, we've seen crazier things happen. I think the Lakers still have kind of a mandate here to not mess this up somehow, whether it's injuries. And that wouldn't be them messing it up. But just if an injury occurs to one of them, a serious one, um, if for some reason these guys butt heads, um, given that this will be the best player that LeBron has played with maybe ever, um, And the idea that, you know, whether Kawhi comes in there or not, who knows? There's still a number of things that could happen. I I assume that Davis will be back with them because that was where he wanted to go. And again, Rich Paul represents both of them. But we've seen crazier things happen. And we've seen things that we didn't expect to happen happen before. And, you know, while talent can cover for a lot of uh, faux pas with regards to a franchise, the Lakers have been prone to have more of them than anybody. And so, um, you know, 2020 may be very boring, particularly if Kawhi signs long term. But if if for some reason he decides to go long term and the Lakers really don't get that third player, an injury or two creeps in and they miss the playoff somehow. And let's say there's a blame game going on. Maybe Davis does opt in or, or opt, um, you know, choose to become a free agent after all and make stuff interesting. And then, you know, we end up in the same cycle again. We've got helicopters and. The whole nine yards the same way we do with Kawhi right now.
2: I'll end this with a very basic point, which is never underestimate the power of somebody going into an experience, understanding that they're calibrating it for the next five years. So every time LeBron yells at AD in practice, every time... The media just crushes too much. Davis has to sit there and go, "Do I want another five years of this?" And exactly. it is possible. Like I, I, there's this strange idea I haven't fully put my head around this yet, where it's it. Sometimes it can be better for those circumstances, like Paul George and Kawhi, where you kind of didn't want to go there, and so then you're you're kind of looking to make the best of it, and you're not overwhelmed by what is the future because you're not really thinking about it. Whereas those circumstances, like Dwight Howard, like. Anthony Davis, where you're always thinking the long game. That's the whole. That's the whole idea, and there is a real risk there. There's more of a risk, I think, just because that thought process is so different.
1: No, absolutely. It, it, it's gonna be. It's gonna be fun. I mean, at, anytime the Lakers can be involved in all this stuff you know I, I think that fans get annoyed at the you know the exceptionalism that i think some of the laker fans um are you know that take part in and the fact that the lakers just kind of they don't have to be good they can be in the conversation for any free agent because of who they are and where they are um but it does make it more fun and the stakes are really high in a lot of cases i mean the stakes this whole phrase for them have been really high Because of how much they've kind of put in the Kawhi, how many eggs they put in the Kawhi basket to begin with, and you know the idea that they've lost out on guys that they could have gotten um, had they not been so deeply rooted in the Kawhi argument. Um, But what I will say is that you know if if there were somehow odds on the idea of Davis coming back next year, um, and you know not even really entertaining the idea of a free agency, um, you have to think that the odds are much much higher that there's no conversation about him leaving. If they get Kawhi, because then your margin for error, it seems like gets a lot bigger. Even if LeBron is hurt, that you would kind of trust the idea of a team being built around Kawhi and Davis just fine. If they don't get them, all of a sudden LeBron gets hurt. And then it's just Davis and a bunch of guys that they're going to have to essentially sign for the minimum. And obviously Kuzma as well. I mean, we've seen that story play out before um, with the franchise that probably had its head on straighter than the Lakers did. Um, so we, we don't necessarily know that they would be all that competitive if that was the case or if Davis gets hurt, if it's mostly just LeBron and Kuzma and then the other guys, um, I don't know, LeBron's really good, but LeBron's also getting older. So the idea of, you know, that, that question of what happens with Davis, um, you have to feel a lot better if you get Kawhi, even if it means you've got a thin roster around the rest of those three or four guys. But you got to feel so much better if you do manage to get him um, just because of the fact that you you do not want to take a chance and roll the dice on having too thin of a roster and having too many controversies pop up next year, whether it's a fit question or – an injury question that comes up or just a talent question. Um, you don't want to play with that sort of fire when you've got a player of Anthony Cal- uh, Anthony Davis's caliber. Um, the idea, you know, they obviously went through it with Dwight. And obviously I think it worked out, you know, in a way where Dwight wasn't healthy for the rest of his career anyway. And so maybe it was irrelevant. But you don't want to sacrifice all those things you did for Davis and then lose him. Uh, that's probably the best way to put it. So it'll it'll be fascinating to watch. There's gonna be so many storylines. I I'm, imagine the storylines will multiply by twenty five if Kawhi actually signs there. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
2: Absolutely. And Yep. That, that's a, It's going to be so fun. This is going to be a really, really interesting year. And we don't know all of the contours yet, but excited, excited to have the holding pattern of a few months and then really get into it. But thanks so much.
1: No problem, man. Thank you for having me as always.
2: Thanks again to Chris Herring for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at 538, and you can follow him on Twitter at Herring underscore NBA, H-E-R-R-I-N-G underscore NBA. And before ending this episode, I had a short, really interesting conversation with Dave Mason of BetOnline.ag. Considering it's early July, what I wanted to talk with him about was the futures markets and how championship odds and everything else like that. How you have to monitor them really actively with free agency and transactions and everything that's going on right now. So I thought it was a really interesting conversation, something that I didn't know much about and wanted his insight on, and, and really enjoyed it. So hope you enjoyed as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's Early July, and that made me think about the my personal favorite topic to talk, talk with you about now, what just came to mind, is futures. And that's something that's an important part of your business. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating because at a time like now, things are moving so quickly. There's a lot of fan- and I'm sure better enthusiasm. And so it puts a lot of pressure on you to make sure that everything, everything is right and that it's moving with everything that's changing.
0: No, absolutely. It's it, it's definitely uh, challenging, um, but you know, you gotta, if, if every book had its, had its um, wishes, they probably keep futures down during this time of year. Cause there's just so much speculation. And, and you know, where's this guy going to sign? Where's that guy going to sign big time move uh, needle movers. But you can't. I mean, you have to keep them open. The bettors want that. They love the speculation. They love listening to the rumors and and trying to predict where a player will go and and embed and trying to see where value is on a future. Uh, You know, Lakers was a prime example a couple of weeks back before the AD trade. And and after the uh, finals, Lakers opened up one of the favorites. We opened them at plus 700, which is pretty high compared to other books. And that was before uh, the AD thing became, um, you know, the, the trade went not went through because, but you know, before that was ninety nine percent, nine percent chance it goes through, uh, and and then once that news came out about the trade. It, those odds plummet to plus three fifty, And of course everybody's betting them. Everybody was betting them at plus 700. There are, there are highest bet count and, and still to this day, there are the Lakers are highest bet count. So yeah, it's a challenge, but you know, we're still so early in the game and 98% of the futures bets are yet to come in that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not that bad. It's not like a football game this weekend where you open it too early and you got hammered by so many bets that it might be hard to get some of that action back. I mean, we got to, We got you know fifty fifty weeks to get that action back, so not too concerned. That being said, you still have to have a lot of risk management um, involved in it.
2: Well, and on that risk management line, I'm sure one of the one of the things that makes it more palatable for you guys is that there are 30 teams and only one of them can win. So even if one team is is more heavily trafficked, then a they have to win, and b you know there are all these other options. And part of the great thing, part of the fun of sports, is that changes happen all the time and so it it is probably that probably does help help you guys i would assume
0: you're you're absolutely correct you know in a futures market there the household is higher than on a you know an a b market so so that helps for one the math helps the books um And secondly, you know, sure, the Lakers might have been the hot bet of the week that week. But the next 50 weeks, there's always going to be a hot bet. You know, one player goes to somewhere. There's a trade rumor. There's an injury. There's always some hot team that people are betting and trying to get value on. And and, uh, sometimes they're right. Most of the times they're not because the next week, you know, uh, the next week there'll be some other hot team. So, yeah, I mean, the Lakers ain't the only team we're going to get a lot of action on.
2: I can imagine that the recently completed season was a great example of that. I mean, you had lots of teams have hot stretches and I'm sure the Warriors got a lot of action throughout it and then ended up being the Raptors. And I'm guessing they were not the most heavily trafficked team for most of it until maybe the very, very end.
0: Yeah. Great example. Um, you know, the rockets were rockets were a massive liability for us. And, uh, I think, you know, all that James Harden stuff and the, the, it's the, finally their year, you know, James Harden going crazy. And, uh, and then and then uh, Celtics people, Celtics were a big. They were they were huge liability early on, and we we never got the Celtics in the black, but we weren't too concerned. But yeah, they, exactly. There's always a hot team, but but you know the, the 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 Raptors were were really never that hot hot team. I don't know if it's because probably a mixture of things. either they're in Canada, and and you know we take so much U.S. action, and people are always a little betting on their team, and also because the Raptors kind of pooped out the. Uh, previous few uh playoffs they, they've always disappointed in the playoffs that I think people were like ah, eh, it's the Raptors you know they, they can't do it so yep great example
2: we're almost out of time but I wanted to open it to you is there anything it could be in another sport or something else that you think is interesting going on and going on on bet online right now
0: oh wow I mean you know we, we call it the slow season July you know it's the least bet you know there's none of the major four major or none of or basketball and football are on hiatus, but you know, there's always something to bet on and and uh, you know, happy July fourth and uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest is one of my favorite events of the year. But uh you know we got big great Bitcoin promotion too. Uh for those people who like to b- deposit with Bitcoin, we offer five percent above market rate on your Bitcoin deposits. So come on over and check the site. We got free agent sign you know, speaking of the NBA, we got all sorts of free agent odds and 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 get the early value on these futures don't wait till the season you know if you if you have an opinion now on some of these free agent movements or rumors go get the early value now put the money down
2: absolutely thank you so much for taking the time thank you Thanks to Dave Mason for sharing his insight and coming on. You can again use that podcast one promo code at BetOnline.ag for a fifty percent welcome bonus. And also again, thanks to Chris Herring for coming on. Great work at Five Thirty Eight H E R R I N G underscore NBA if you want to follow him on Twitter. This is the first of what will be many really you know like July style off seasons talking about what has happened and gonna gonna try to change up the structure a little bit this year. Am I am going to do all of the capsule what I call them off-season preview season preview combination things but those are probably going to be a little later in the summer and I'm going to have other stuff before that and so I'm excited to to work all of those things out but as always Real Gym Radio once a week every week so rest assured and that's why it's so important to subscribe and download every episode because I don't know when it's going to come out but it is going to come out and Spreading the word however you see fit Leaving a rating, leaving a review And doing so, it's great if you can do an Apple podcast But really whatever player you use I I really do appreciate it all the same But the most important thing for the show And any other one that has them Is checking out our sponsors BetOnline.ag with that familiar Podcast One promo code And Truecar, really interested in in what they're doing right now So if you have experience with them Email Truecar at PodcastOne.com And tell them about your experience And the first 200 people to email get a $20 or Amazon gift card, which is pretty awesome. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to make that happen. I do not promise that I will respond, but I do promise that I will read it because that is extremely important to me. They go into a separate folder. I make sure before the end of every day that I read them because it's important to me and I, it makes the show better. As I said, I don't know exactly where Real Gym Radio is going to go over the next couple weeks. I have a couple ideas and we're going to see it. I'm pretty excited about it. And if you want my more daily, you know, the the minutiae type of fun stuff, Dunked On with Nate Duncan, we're still running strong. And most of my written work is at The Athletic. I have, I think I've done like five, six pieces already this week and have a couple more that are getting ready to roll out so you can can keep continue reading there. And yeah, that's about it for now. Enjoy the long weekend for those of you who are based in the US. Enjoy the weekend for those of you who are not. And thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.